0: That, of course, is the Christmas classic, A Christmas Story, and I watch it without fail every year. Now, I'm not a Star Wars geek, you know, that that watches all the Star Wars movies over and over, but I watch that movie every Christmas without fail. I've just about got it memorized, Uh, and just like, happened to him, if I use one of the swear words, Amy washes my mouth out with soap when I'm quoting the the movie back to her. Um, If you know, if you know the story there, that's a a critical time. He's been waiting for weeks for this official Little Orphan Annie decoder ring, and it's finally arrived, and it turns out to be terribly anticlimactic. Uh, We're going to talk today about waiting. Now, many of you are New Year's resolutions type people. I get that. Uh, I'm not. I think Tyler did an exceptional job last weekend reminding us of the simplistic, heartfelt desire to go after God intentionally, and what a great New Year's resolution that would be, to walk humbly before our God. But some of you have written down things, you know, like I'm going to lose some weight, or I'm going to put a little money away for a rainy day, or we're going to get our finances under control in 2019, or we're going to pay off this debt, or, or move forward in some way. But I want to talk to you about uh, which way we'll go in 2019. In fact, you can go all over the internet, and there are all kinds of signs like this, you know, will we go backwards 2018, 2019 is ahead of us. Uh, kind of gives you the image of, hey, we're moving forward. You better get on board, because if not, you're the only one, and you're going backwards. Uh, one of my favorites that I came across is, uh, is this one. Let me show you this. My goal for 2019 is to accomplish the goals of 2018, which I should have done in 2017 because I promised them in 2015 and planned them in 2014. Okay, maybe you're in that boat. Now, one thing about a brand new year is it... It's just that. It's a brand new year. It lay before us like a freshly new fallen snow. There are very few footprints in this beautiful, white, serene picture that lay ahead of us. You will choose, many of you will choose your path. Others will have it chosen for you in 2019. But one thing is for sure, you have a mindset already, an image, a picture, an idea of how you want it to go. Uh, I've talked with people this time of year about reflecting on 2018 and planning for 2019, and they describe their hopes and dreams for 2019 as something like this, Uh, just kind of like a a, a stroll through the year, kind of it's serene, it's calm, you're just kind of taking it all in, you don't miss any of the details. You want 2019 to be exceptional, and you want to be there to take it all in, all right? Others, however, describe a more fast-paced 2019. You are looking for excitement in 2019. You are looking for thrills in 2019. In fact, that leads me to one that I think is possibly my favorite. If you've ever been in a hot air balloon, you almost feel detached from the, well, you are detached from the earth, but you almost feel detached from reality. It's a whole new vantage point that most people aren't used to. It is quiet. It is serene. It is soothing. It is, it is calming. Maybe you're looking for a year of calm. Well, many of you are going to get a year like this. If you have children, especially toddlers, your year is going to be like a roller coaster, up and down, twists and turns. Some of you will have something unplanned, an expense, for instance. Sadly, maybe even an illness in 2019 that will send you twisting and turning, tumbling upside down and up and down. But now, I want to show you, I don't know if your year will be like a stroll through the, a mountain climbing or if your year will be like a trip in a hot air balloon or a, a roller coaster, but I can promise you I know every one of us will have a year like this. Okay, now hang on. Let me explain. I grew up in Florida. I'm not much of a surfer because I grew up on the west coast of Florida. The Gulf have you know waves about this big. But every now and then we drive to the east coast, uh, Cocoa Beach or Melbourne or Daytona somewhere, and we'd we'd surf. The waves are a little bigger on the Atlantic side. And one thing I can tell you about surfing, I could never be a full-time surfer because there's far too much waiting involved in surfing. You see, it looks fun when you're riding a curl, when you're uh, headed to the, to the shore and, and, and you're beaten, you're out running that way. It's just stunning. It's beautiful. It's, ex- it's exciting. But for every one or two minutes you get to do that, you do a whole lot of this. Just waiting on the board, just hoping for the wave, just laying out there, hoping and praying there's not a big shark underneath you that mistakes you for a seal, Uh, a little paddle here and there. No, that one's not swelling the way it needs to. A whole lot of waiting, extended periods of waiting, followed by one opportunity to get up on a board, and maybe you ride for a little while, maybe you don't, and then the inevitable wipeout, okay? I can promise you your year may not be a roller coaster ride. It may not be a hot air balloon trip, but I can promise all of you your year will involve plenty of waiting. I started to use a picture of a A fisherman, because that's all fishing is to me, is waiting. That's why I'm not much of a fisherman. If you could guarantee me we're going to catch some fish and have some excitement for longer than uh, a few moments at a time, instead of sitting in the boat for three hours, I'd probably do more more fishing. But the inevitability of the waiting is what I want to talk to you about this morning. I don't think any of us like to wait. Listen, you can be the most patient person in the world, But even if you are naturally patient, you still don't like to wait. If you leave this auditorium today and drive to a restaurant and have to wait too long, you'll get up and go to another restaurant. Our aversion to waiting is obvious. Many, many years ago, the church, we were just getting it started. Uh, A guy that was helping me, Doug, many of you remember Doug. He and I took all of our young people up to Tennessee We wanted to show them some of the stuff we did when we were in college. And one of the things we did one day was spelunking or cave diving. Okay, now, this is where you pay your money, and, you know, we were responsible for your kids, so we didn't take them to some of the places we used to go. But, uh, you know, they give you the little hat with the light on it. You're supposed to wear clothes that you don't mind getting muddy because you're going to get very, very muddy. Uh, but most of this is kind of like a guided tour. You know, uh, We had probably 15 in our group. We were with another group, uh, probably 15 or 20. So there's like 30 young people. And most of the cave diving experience is not diving or crawling or, or anything. It's walking. Okay? You're in a big area and you're basically just walking through until finally you get to one of those little cracks and crevices that you have to lie down on your back and squeeze under. Or maybe you have to go through kind of like this or maybe you have to climb up and over. And that takes time to get 30 people through that tiny little opening. So after a couple of hours of this... Uh, we were kind of like a slinky or kind of like a, a, a caterpillar. I mean, we would uh, we'd all kind of march and kind of run, and then we'd stop, and we'd have to wait for one at a time to squeeze through the little place. Finally, one of our young people, it was our, our church treasurer, Tracy Brockman. It was her, uh, her son, uh, Dugan, or Tyler, uh, we call him. Anyway, he said, Pastor Mike, all we do is hurry up and wait. We hurry up and wait. We run to the next challenge, and then we stand there and we wait. And it was obvious that these 13, 15-year-old kids were getting tired of that process of hurrying up to wait. Well, listen, I do plenty of that in my life, and so do you. In 2019, I can virtually guarantee you will hurry up and wait. Waiting while it goes against our DNA is actually a significant part of the plan of God, and I want you to remember that. If in 2019 you are waiting on something, that is part of God's plan, and it is intended for your good. In fact, the Bible says over and over, a dozen different ways. Let me give you one example. Isaiah 40, verse 31. The Bible says, those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They'll fly high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Now, don't miss this. God's promise for strength... God's promise for momentum is contingent or conditional upon our willingness to wait. To wait. To hope. To lean in. To be ready. But to wait. Waiting is the way of Scripture. Do you know that Noah waited 120 years for the rain that God had promised? All the while building that ark. Do you know that Moses waited 40 years in the desert, tending his father-in-law's sheep before God put him to work in the great exodus of God's people. Do you know that Joseph waited 14 years in jail before he could be released and ascend to the highest levels of leadership in Egypt? Did you know that Job waited for years to be restored physically back to health, to be restored financially, even emotionally over the loss of his family. Jesus waited 30 years to begin his public ministry. Waiting is the way of Scripture. And many of you are going to wait in 2019, and you're not going to like one minute of it. But I'm hoping to change your perspective on it today. Some of you are waiting to find Mr. Wright or Ms. Wright. You so want to be in a close relationship that's headed somewhere. You so want to be married and start a family of your own, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. Some of you are going to be waiting on a doctor, a test, the results. You're going to be waiting on a procedure. You're going to fight an illness, and you're going to be forced to wait. Some of you are going to be waiting for someone to forgive or to forgive you. Some of you are going to wrong someone. Someone's going to wrong you, and you're going to stand back and wait for them to give you the apology that they owe you. Some of you are going to be waiting to get your career off the ground. Maybe your career is going to take a turn this year. Maybe you're going to graduate school this spring and you're going to start to establish yourself. Maybe you're starting a a second business and and you want to gain momentum. You're going to be waiting for things to go your way. Some of you are going to experience a loss in 2019, as I have in my life, that is so gut-wrenching, that is so disturbing you're going to be waiting for God to explain himself. I've been there. Perhaps you've been there as well. Some of you are going to be suffering in 2019 and you're going to be waiting for relief. Incidentally, it's quite interesting. Whenever you read in your New Testament and you come across the word suffering like we're going to do today, it comes from a Greek word which actually could be interpreted waiting. Sometimes when the Bible talks about suffering, it's talking about Waiting. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have to wait, that feels like suffering to me. And it's not that I'm that impatient, it's just not part of my DNA to wait it out. Look, many of us will knowingly make a poor decision just to keep from having to wait. Many of us will knowingly choose the wrong course of action just so we can get things going. Many of you know I'm building a barn. Amy and I were almost done. We've been living in a 19 foot camper now for over two months. All right. The very first thing Amy said about her new barn over a year ago when we started to plan was well, she said, I want a farm sink in my kitchen. Now, do you know what a farm sink is? It's kind of one of these Chip and Joanna Gaines type sinks. If you watch Fixer Upper, right? Okay. It's this big kind of China looking thing, it's white. Uh, there's no divider. It kind of sticks out the front of the cabinet, which means it requires a special cabinet designed to receive a farm sink. Well, this past week, I worked hard on my kitchen, got my cabinets all ready, got to put them in. The first cabinet I screwed to the wall was the sink base, and it occurred to me that's a regular sink base. That's not going to take the farm sink that Amy wants. So I called her here at the office. I said, Amy, we've paid I don't know how much for this sink base. I've already drilled holes in it, screwed it to the wall. It's ready to go, but it won't take the farm sink. Oh, Michael, she said. Listen, we weren't on the phone for 30 more seconds, and she had already dismissed the farm sink. Oh, well, I don't want to wait any longer. I want to get this kitchen done. I said, baby, wait a minute, wait a minute. The very first thing you told me you wanted in this new barn kitchen was a farm sink. And now, because you simply don't want to wait a few more days or a week, you're ready to chuck the whole idea. Yes, sadly, we are, because waiting is not part of our DNA. Let's talk about waiting, because the Bible has a lot to say regarding both suffering and waiting. In some sense, they are twin sisters or twin brothers. They're two sides of the same coin. In fact, James, the half brother of Jesus, he said in his epistle, James chapter 1 and verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The Greek language there, describes polka-dotted trials throughout your life. Your life is sprinkled, trials of many kinds. It's polka-dotted throughout your 2019 because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance, what is that? That's waiting. That's holding on. That's hoping. That's leaning in. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Look, there are two things we know about waiting when it comes to Scripture. Number one, we know that waiting on God is the rule. The open door is the exception. Waiting on God, church, is the rule. The open door, the opportunity, the quick turn of events, that is the exception. Now, I bring that to your attention because there's some bad theology out there. There's bad theology out there that teaches you if you're the right kind of person, then all God does is sling open one door after another for you. Because God's whole reason for existing is to make you comfortable. See? The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches the opposite. The waiting, Moses, Abraham, David, Job, Noah, Joseph, the list goes on and on. The waiting is the norm, and the open door is the exception. Here's the second thing we know about waiting. Waiting on God involves hope and rest, not anxiety and cynicism, You see, when I'm forced to wait, my hope and rest can quickly be exchanged for anxiety and cynicism. I lose faith in the process. I lose hope in any turn of events. If suffering is inevitable, as James says it is, and waiting will be a key ingredient to our growth in 2019, what's the Bible have to say about it? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you're about to give up on the wait, hang in there with me and listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul writes, Paul, he's introducing himself, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, this is a common greeting that Paul uses in most of his letters. He identifies himself as an apostle. By the way, church, there were only 12 apostles then and there are only 12 apostles now. If someone introduces themselves and hands you a business card from the church down the road and they call themselves an apostle, they don't understand scripture. They don't know their theology. An apostle was one personally commissioned by a resurrected Christ. Now listen, I feel called in the ministry. Jonathan Hawkins, Tyler Baker, we feel called in the ministry. That's a far cry from being personally commissioned, as Paul was, by a resurrected Jesus Christ. The apostle of the first century had absolute authority in the church. See? They didn't have the inspired word of God as we do today. Everybody didn't open their Bible and lay it on their lap when they came to church. The apostle delivered the message from God. See? Paul identifies himself as an apostle by the will of God to the church of God in Corinth together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Verse 2, grace and peace to you. Again, a common greeting from the apostle. Grace are those, that unmerited favor, those good things God has given you that you certainly haven't deserved or earned. They're given because he's a good and loving God. Grace to you and peace. Peace is that isolation from all the noise, peace is that inner strength. Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now watch, the word comfort there, which actually means alongside to help. If I come alongside to help you, I'm comforting you. The word comfort is going to appear nine times in the next five verses. This passage is about comforting those who are waiting, those who are suffering. Verse 4, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Do you know, church, that when we suffer, when we're forced to wait, when things are not going our way and we must endure, we are most like Jesus Christ? Did you know that? You say, well, I would think we're most like Jesus when we do for other people, when we give to other people. Or or maybe if you could stand on a stage and sing a beautiful song to God, maybe that's not not what the scripture teaches. Paul teaches in Philippians chapter 2 that the mind of Christ, which is something worth our attaining or trying to achieve is a mind of humility, is a mind not afraid of suffering. Keep reading. Verse 6. Matter of fact, skip down to verse 8. Verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, church, interestingly enough, we don't know what those troubles were. We know a lot about his other troubles. We know Paul was shipwrecked multiple times. We know that he was beaten and left for dead multiple times. We know that he was imprisoned. We know that he was run out of town. We know that he got sick, that he had been bitten by a snake. We know all this. But whatever this was, as you're going to see in a moment, it robbed him of his will even to live. Watch. We didn't want you to be uninformed concerning our troubles Verse number, into verse eight. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Do you know what the word despaired there means? In the original language, it means no passage, literally. No passage. Paul said, I got to a place in my life and there was no way out. You ever heard somebody say, <clears throat> well, when God closes the door, he always opens a window, brother. Not for Paul. Paul's saying, God closed the door and nailed shut all the windows. There was no passage. I couldn't see a way out. There was absolutely nothing in me that wanted to go on any further. Have you ever felt like that? Listen, if you haven't, odds are one day you will. You'll lie flat on your bed at night, you'll stare up into the ceiling, and you'll debate whether or not it's worth getting up the next day. You will question, maybe if things get bad enough, even dare God to go ahead and take you, because there's just not anything worth suffering and waiting like this. That's where Paul was. I despaired even of life itself, verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope and will continue to deliver us, verse 11, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now I have shared this passage with you on other occasions. Today I want to kind of turn and put a different spin on it. It's right there in the text. We just read it. God answers your question, why? Why must I wait? Why do we suffer? Three quick things. Number one, we suffer in order to comfort other people. Did you see it in verse four? It's rather wordy. Paul says we We suffer so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we've received from God. In other words, you comfort me, you come alongside to help me, I turn and I come alongside somebody else and help them. You talk about a bond in marriage. When you suffer together, it is a bond that brings husband and wife more closely together than any other means possible. If a man or woman in this church is suffering And others come alongside, and they're there, and they help, and they pray, and they hurt. A bond is formed, is fashioned, is virtually unbreakable. We suffer in order to comfort other people. Now, you may be thinking, hey, it's not worth it. (laughs) It's not worth it. You know, my being able to help somebody else down the road, (laughs) believe me, it's not worth what I'm going through right now. But once you get to the other side and you look back, how many stories do you know of people who had no reason to hope? I mean, their sky was dark. Problems abound, and yet they were leaning into God, and you could see it. They seemed far more content than even you are. They seemed far more hopeful and joyous than even you are, and yet they're the ones waiting, carrying the, the weight. Verse nine tells us that we also suffer. We're also forced to wait. So that we might not depend on ourselves. Did you see that? This happened, whatever that was, whatever that dark time in Paul's life, that happened that he might not rely on himself, but upon God who raises the dead. I'm trusting God during the waiting time because God can raise the dead. I can't. I learned not to rely on myself. The third reason we suffer is from verses 10 and 11, so that we might learn to give thanks. Thanks. Do you realize that when you can sincerely offer thanks for even the darkness, I'm not saying that's easy, but when you can, you've identified yourself as fully surrendered to God. Only in honest, sincere thanksgiving have I truly surrendered to God's plan. And remember, church, the supreme objective of prayer is not to change God's plans, but to have God change me in them. That's the objective of prayer. That's why we pray. Not my will, but yours. So we suffer, we wait, so we can come alongside others and help them in their time of need. We suffer, we wait, so that we'll learn not to rely on ourselves because God will get you to a point where it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, you can't solve this particular problem. I have seen wealthy men and women come through the ranks of this church and find themselves in a spot where it didn't matter how big a check they could write. That wasn't going to solve this problem. I've seen men and women of great physical stature, their body, the temple, and everybody knew it, get themselves in a hole, a physical problem that their health couldn't even overcome. See, the Bible promises strength, it promises deliverance, it promises restoration, it promises peace, it promises security, it promises even glory to the person who can wait. It's conditional only on our willingness to hope, to lean in, to wait. I like to call this maximum surrender. Maximum surrender. Listen, you want to get into a strong position in 2019? Surrender fully. You see, in the waiting, when God makes us wait, he removes the limelight. And some of us need that because we're prideful. We're basically proud by nature. You see, when you're forced to wait, if you are suffering, nobody cares what great athlete you were in high school or college. Nobody cares how much money you made in your 30s. Nobody cares about the size and branches of the business you developed. God removes the limelight. A reordering of our priorities takes place that, frankly, I'm a pretty stubborn person, wouldn't otherwise have happened were it not for the waiting for the suffering. When God makes us wait, he loosens our grip on control. And believe me, I know some of you people are control freaks, aren't you? You like to control every little thing. It bothers you when she says what she says because you'd like to tell her how she should really say it, right? How he should respond, what they should have done, how this should look, how it should come off. When God makes us wait, he loosens our grip on control. Number three, when he makes us wait, he convinces us to forfeit our rights because we begin to value and accept his ways. Well, this is what I've been wanting, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen. So we surrender. His plan becomes more important than our plan. And fourth, when God makes us wait, he teaches us that there's value in maximum surrender. Look, how many times have you gone into the circumstance and the way it was unfolding, it just seemed completely upside down and it was like, okay, God, you've got some explaining to do here because this doesn't make sense. We just went through that. Now you're asking us to go through this, but by the time you've gone through it, your thinking has changed 180 degrees. What was once upside down, complete and totally, is now fully right side up. That means you have surrendered. It's inevitable. The Bible says over and over again that your 2019 is going to be polka dotted, sprinkled throughout with waiting, with difficulty, challenge. But I want to remind you of something maximum surrender. Means maximum glory. And what the Bible teaches is that every one of us has one, an advocate, if you will, that comes alongside us and knows intimately the detail of our circumstance and knows fully the emotion and the feeling and the time involved in our circumstance. And that one advocate, Jesus Christ is there alongside to comfort that we might turn around and comfort someone else that we will learn the hard learned lesson not to trust ourselves and that we will learn to give thanks in each and every circumstance. I don't know what your 2019 is going to look like. If you're hoping for a race car, a roller coaster ride, speed, more power to you. I hope you get just that. If you're hoping for a, a mountaintop experience, I hope you get just that. But I guarantee you every one of us going to do our share of waiting in 2019. I hope you're ready. I am. I'm ready. Hope you are. Let's pray. Father, I'm looking at folks that are waiting on divorce papers to show up in the mail. God, I'm waiting on others that are waiting for test results from a doctor. I'm looking at people who are waiting and have been waiting for a long time for that special person to build a life with. I'm looking at folks, God, who are waiting. Help us learn to surrender fully during the waiting. Help us learn from the waiting. And help us even learn to give thanks for the waiting. All these things I pray because of my immense respect for your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, God bless you, Grace Community Church. Hope you go make it a fantastic week. I will see you next time.